What can I say? I'm a star. <laughs> Welcome to Coffee, Rants, and All Things Christian with the Parkview Pastors. We're all here today. My name is David Harris. Uh, joining me is Daniel Morris, John Seth Sammons, Skylar Teal, and Mike Tatum. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different for the coffee segment today because uh, I am 99% sure that this is a flavored coffee, but Mike's daughter, Meg, brought it in, and Mike probably knows a little bit more about it than we do. So, Mike, you want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah, this is a, a coffee from... Uh, place in South Carolina, a little town called Polly's Island, and it's a uh, uh, it's a uh, called Carolina Morning, and it it doesn't indicate that it is supposed to be a flavored coffee, even though there is a, a hint of of vanilla or something that seems to be coming from that. But it is a smooth, medium body with a little dark roast added. So I'm not sure okay. uh, what that what that means or what that's going to taste like. I do think it is flavored. Yeah, I do. I do think it's flavored. Yeah, it's got it's it's got a French vanilla type. Yeah, or some kind of vanilla type flavor. But yeah, I will say, I like it. No. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, of course. I will say French vanilla. <laughs> a lot of the time, flavored coffees have like an overwhelming, like it's like I don't know, like kind of slaps you in the face with whatever flavor is yeah. on the bag or whatever. This is not like that to me i mean it's more subtle which i like i think this is the this comes from a place called coffee masters and it looks like most of their coffees are some kind of flavored coffee gotcha Um, this is carolina morning they have southern pecan caramel kiss granny snickerdoodle Mm. Mm. jamaican me crazy an island blend of coffee Mm. liqueur caramel and vanilla and then just a, a french roast so I think that they're more inclined to do this kind of a specialty coffee with a flavor to it than just coffee just that tastes coffee. like coffee. Yeah, which, I mean, is not everyone's thing. It's certainly not my thing usually, but it's definitely not bad. I mean, it's not like an overwhelmingly. Mike, is this where you told us to lie if we didn't like it for Meg? Yes, yeah. Okay, this coffee is the best. <laughs> no, I'm not reading a sign right now from Mike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But seriously, I mean, I'm a y'all know I'm a huge like third wave coffee geek, but I can drink this. Like, yeah. this is not something that I would like drink. And be like, Ugh, right. this is beneath me. I would never drink this. It's yeah. disgusting. It's, that which is like every fine. coffee that John Seth drinks, except I like this one. That's true. Yeah, I like this one. Anyways, though, thank you, Meg, and anybody yeah. else that wants to send us coffee to try. Absolutely. We will always try. We'll always try coffee. coffee. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, Moving on to our mystery index card for the day. I'm going to let Skylar open it up and read it to us. Okay. Okay. Right, here we go. Uh, what y'all think about country music? Yeah, so yeah. It's dumb. Not music. There you go. How is it not music? Yeah, that's. <laughs> someone seems a little hurt by country. You sound music. like my grandfather talking about the Beatles. Oh, well, he says that's not music. Yeah, he's, oh. just, I for one don't what like. What do you all, like about it? I don't like all country music, but I do like some country music. For me, T Swizzle a lot. Back in the day. A lot. <laughs> no, a lot of legendary yes. uh, guitar players come from country music. Okay. Um, and Three. there's some real good guitar picking on three, two, one, Brad Paisley. 
He's in, he's incredible. Okay. <laughs> You're supposed to stay okay. with me there. Well, I thought I thought okay, you were going to You can't do that with me. I'm a guitar nerd, so the first country music guitar player that's like legendary that I think of is a guy named Brent Mason who plays every style of music, but he's also in the Nashville studios and he's absolutely incredible. So he's not just like solely a country artist. I was thinking like he's big famous. time country artist. He's famous. He's any country record you've heard since the 70s, he's probably been on. So I would say he is Okay. Yeah. Definitely a country guitar player. So you like the but, music that comes out of a Nashville studio then? Because that, I don't I mean, like. Alan Jackson's country. I love his music. Tim McGraw's country. I love his music. Did Jack- you notice you had, like, you kind of switched accent there a little I got bit? A little bit. Yeah. I like a little yeah. Alan Jackson there. Yeah. <laughs> she was killing me in that miniskirt. Oh <laughs> Skipping rocks on the river by the rail. You're costing me more tracks. and more minutes of editing. <laughs> I, I love country music. Not a, not a all country music. You can most be wrong. if it's good, then yes. If it's yeah. good, it's definitely Define subjective good. truth. Define good for us. If I like it, <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. What's an example? Thomas like Rhett. I like Thomas Rhett. That's that's more modern stuff. What about okay? Okay, let Ricky Skaggs. Sorry, okay. Earl Earl Scruggs. <laughs> that's like okay, like bluegrass. You you do yes. like it all? I like Trace Adkins. <laughs> all right. Tim McGraw. What's, As a rule, your, country music is terrible. Lazy writing and lyrics. Yes. Uh, it's just, I mean. The twang. I can't do it. I can't handle I it. Can't, just I can't. Just can't do it. The first, by the way, the first nine years of my life were spent in Nashville. Mm. Amen. Don't like country music. Fair enough. Sounds like heaven to me. <laughs> Blake Shelton. Carrie that's, Underwood. That's a good example. Yeah, no, I'm, they're I'm, just ones that I like. Oh, see, I'm kind of, I'm kind of differing with John Seth on my tastes in country music a little bit here. Mm. That's fine I think. too. I like Alan Jackson. His bluegrass album is. Yeah, uh, I haven't even heard that. But. What do you think, Mike? Sigh. Who's your favorite country? No, artist? but what do you really think? <laughs> well, we know you went to the Carrie Underwood concert, so yes. <laughs> So you went to a Carrie Underwood concert? I have been to a Carrie Underwood concert. I have, uh, back in the day, went to a concert that had Hank Williams Jr. No and way. Johnny oh, Paycheck. Wow. No way. Yeah, back in the 80s. Um, I love me some Hank Jr. Went to, uh, uh, this, is, this is debatable whether it's country music genre or not, but I was the good husband and took my wife to a Keith Urban concert. Oh, yeah, we lost story. him. <laughs> what was the reference that you said about Keith Urban? He did a cover of a. song He did a recently? cover of a BG song. Of a BG so song. is this? Is this? Was that being a good husband or just yes. for for you? No, that was being a good husband. You know how many times I've heard Judy mention anything about Keith Urban? <laughs> the past two weeks, I've heard Mike mention it twice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just thought of it. Zach Brown Band. Yeah. I, yes, so they're one if, of my favorites. If, not if, if there is one group, that would be one. But because not, great, not for me, they're they're eclectic in their their uh, musicianship. Their musicianship it's is amazing, top yeah. notch. Not a fan of their Chris songs, Stapleton. So. Uh, oh, dude, Chris Stapleton's much, country on. starts and ends with Zach Brown Band for me. Wow, I mean, like Chris Stapleton's only phenomenal one. songwriter, singer, guitar player, musician, everything. He's phenomenal. <sighs> But Maybe Keith Urban is also a phenomenal guitar player, if you don't already know, if no one already knows that. He's right. phenomenal. Surprisingly passionate about his country music over here, yeah. John Seth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I um I, I can listen to it if I you know, if that's what's on. Um I'm not gonna rant about it. 
I would prefer uh, other genres. Anything else? I mean, there was Anything a there was a time when that's all I listened to was country music, and I went and I went back. Like, Amen. Old country music, like Loretta Hank Lynn, Senior. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. But I'm I'm not. Uh, I would Big much Hank rather guy. I would much rather listen to Rolling Stones and Beatles and Led Zeppelin and that kind of stuff. I get that. Sure. So See, hardcore, Mike. Something I am violently opposed to. I hate country pop and country like rap or hip hop or yes. any of those things. I There's this those. guy that he like, I don't know. Probably Kane Who, Who's the guy that, that's, that says he's a country music person, but he talks a lot of his lyrics. Like he's trying to rap. Is Ooh. it Luke something? Luke Brian? Isn't that oh like all gosh, of them? Man. Don't they no. all do that? <laughs> pop country. Most of them do that. Yeah. Kane Brown know. does it a lot now. I don't, know who I don't even know who that does. You don't even like country. Get out of here. What I, yeah. You're right. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> I feel like I, I the first accurate statement of the day. The first. <laughs> it's been a long day. Not the podcast. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Sorry if Daniel and I have offended people on the, our listeners here for our hatred of country music. It's okay. I'm just making it a goal now. I I tend to think I do have good taste in music, so I need to find an excerpt of. Something. I used to. Hey, listen. I used to think that. I'm going to find something. I'm going to show them. And they're still going to be like, oh, I hate this. But they're going to be making that face. On the like, inside, they're like, oh, I well, actually think this. I've just got to stick to my guns now. Is but that, I actually right. like it. Exactly. So John, Seth, and I are going to team up. I mean, we're going to have to agree on I don't understand video. how. I'm going to have to give you like three chances, though, because I'm not listening to all your country music. Hey, fair enough. I don't. I, I mean, I don't listen to a Chris lot. Chris Stapleton is not like on the top of everyone's list. He's, that dude he's is great, phenomenal. He's phenomenal. Never heard of him. I don't really know. Who he is? He covered Prince Tennessee one whiskey. Time. He covered Prince, and it's phenomenal. I'm it was sorry, better than I Prince. Drink. Again, it's the song. He covered. He covered Prince. Yeah, but all his other so, stuff. All of his other no, stuff is no, amazing. No. Tennessee whiskey. I think that was a cover. So they found some cover that also exactly yeah. right. But it's a it's country about cover. The song. It's the no, song. But no, okay, let me, me let me bring you back. Not he the was artist. In, he was in a band called the Steel Drivers. Steel Do you know drivers? the Steel Drivers? Oh gosh, yes. Phenomenal. They're amazing. Phenomenal. Dude. Broken Halos. Well, starting over. Parachute. You should probably leave. Literally all of Chris Stapleton's songs he writes. Most of them. Fire Away is a great Fire one. Away. Oh, dude. See, we're on the same wave yes. right now, dude. They're, we, they're just not ascended to us, David. <laughs> all right. Not on your so I'm That's bored. what I was going to say. I'm sure yeah. our listeners are having a great time with this, but. Uh, probably because they all love country music and they hate all of you now, except yeah. for me and David and kind of Mike because he likes Keith Urban a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm here. Though. You know, I did. I well, I'm glad I'm here because Daniel, I felt like you were left alone last last time with the subtitle I controversy. I was. Yeah. Would I, you like to speak to that? There was no controversy. Well, I mean, no. I, I think it's ridiculous. I'm with Daniel. I I mean, you might as well just read a picture book if you just want to watch a movie with subtitles. That's all. I mean. That was a weak sauce. <laughs> I did have tickets to a share concert once. Is it bad? I because I was going to, I was going to take <laughs> really, I'm wow. that serious. I don't know. Uh, what? I was going to take Judy to see share. And then when we couldn't go for some reason, I put them on Facebook to, to sell the tickets. And I got like, um, all Roasted. kinds of made fun of by all of my Facebook friends for actually possessing, hmm tickets to a share concert well if this is the same as like you bought share tickets for judy like you bought keith urban tickets for judy then and that is the truth <laughs> because i have seen elton Mike, john on more than one here. occasion because judy loves it 
some Elton John. You saw Elton John? It's called being a good I saw Elton John and Billy Joel together. What? They were in concert. That was a good concert. But that was a good concert. It was a good concert. Speaking of Petra. <laughs> Interesting segue. Yes. No, this is the real segue. We are final or concluding our series on the church this week, and we're talking about uh, all things SBC Southern Baptist Convention. And so we're just going to kind of work through what all of that entails um, and, and what all of that means. So I'll just start us off with this first question What is the Southern Baptist Convention? And uh, as a follow up to that, why are we Parkview Baptist Church? Why are we Southern Baptist? According to the founding documents, the SBC is a body of people who are members of churches that have chosen to participate in cooperation with one another. The convention's purpose is to provide a general organization for Baptists in the United States and its territories for the promotion of Christian missions at home and abroad and any other objects such as Christian education, benevolent enterprises, and social services, which it may deem proper and advisable for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. So basically what that means... (laughs) Is in 1845, a bunch of churches got together and decided that they wanted to be able to support missionaries uh, around the world and to support missionary work around the world. So the SBC was originally formed as a missiological entity, somebody, uh, an entity that would, uh, would support and send missionaries. Um, and, and over time it developed into not just overseas, but, but uh, missionaries at home, strengthening churches at home. It developed into a, what was back then called a Sunday school board that printed out literature for, uh, for small group Bible studies and those kind of things. So it, it kind of morphed over the years into this, into this uh, thing that we now call the Southern Baptist Convention. But at its roots, it was a, a missiological organization committed to, um, committed to the, uh, the Great Commission. Um, and so everything was driven by the Great Commission. Um, and so again, that was 1845. Um, many of you know, uh, the history of the United States, uh, what took place, uh, about a decade after that, uh, was the civil war and we were the Southern Baptist convention. So you kind of, kind of get an idea of the historical context of, of where it came from. Um, and, and the bottom line is, uh, in, in inherent in our, in our roots, uh, or the establishment of that was, uh, was the idea that there were, uh, slave owners who were not eligible for uh, participation in missions or participation as a missionary with other missiological entities of that day. And so they got together this Southern Baptist convention so that they could support missionary endeavors and send missionaries around the world. And so uh, that that's, and the reason why we have to mention that is because there's, there's always this talk in SBC life, uh, you know, over the last couple of decades anyway, of, of racial reconciliation and repentance for our, our past and, and some of those things. Um, and some people get frustrated with that because it's stuff that happened a long time ago, but the reality is, uh, we can't, we can't ignore our roots. We can't ignore our history, uh, because history tends to repeat itself. And so if we're not open with what that is and where we came from, then there may be a time when we're tempted to go back to that. And so we, we want to, we want to make sure, um, that, uh, that when we get together as churches, we are supporting missionary endeavors around the world and we're doing it in a way, uh, that is kingdom oriented and God honoring and, um, and centered on the gospel. Absolutely. Amen. So to me, that tends to reveal the answer to the question, why are we SBC? Because primarily is because we can cooperate for the Great Commission with other Southern Baptist churches. That's correct. We can do more together. We can right. pool resources together. I mean, 45,000 other churches. And again, not all of them necessarily participate financially. 
Um, but but uh, with those other churches, we're able to support over 3,700 missionaries around the world. Yeah, amen. Um, and then there are some there there are some mechanics that kind of go along with that. Uh, but that really is the basics to SBC yeah. and why we're SBC. It's it's a very uh, we believe that it is one of the best mechanisms for sending missionaries for taking the gospel to the nations, and it gives churches the best opportunity and the most efficient opportunity to partner with other churches to actually be involved in that. So when, if you're an, if you're a Southern Baptist convention church, that's actually participating in the life of the SBC, then as members give to that church, they're actually giving to missions and missionary endeavors around the world, depending on how their, their individual churches are structured. Yeah. I think that that is really important to remember of the primary purpose of the SBC because we can get caught up in a lot of the other things and we'll talk through some of uh, some of those things but it gives even in that answer gives idea of what the cooperative program is and which we'll talk about Baptist faith and message and we we can get caught up in a lot of those things but there's a large umbrella to the Southern Baptist Convention that allows us to cooperate together for the purpose of sending missionaries in, in our in our nation but also overseas through the IMB. And I, I, th- I think it is a very efficient program. Obviously, we can send missionaries even apart from the SBC, but because of the cooperative program, cooperating c- together, it is an efficient program that allows us to do that at a, at a really high level. Yep. And, and then there's some also there's some benefits. Now, a, a lot of times people get confused because we refer to the Southern Baptist Convention as a denomination, and it, and it is in a, in a certain sense. But, but when we speak of other denominations of churches, a lot of times there's a hierarchy where it's a top-down kind of government, an Episcopalian-type government, where you've got, uh, you've got some leadership structures above the local church that are dictating to the local church the overall theology and, 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 and mission and work of, of their denomination. Uh, Southern Baptist is completely opposite. We're a ground up, a, a, a real truly grassroots type of organization where, um, where the churches are in charge. There is no hierarchy above us telling our church, uh, what we are to preach, how we are to structure, how we are to organize, what our bylaws should say. There's, we are autonomous in that sense. And every Southern Baptist church is autonomous in that sense that they have the ability to dictate, um, you know, their, their preaching schedule, their liturgy, their committees, their bylaws, all of that is done at the local congregation level. Um, and then what we do is we, uh, again, pool our resources to support entities that, that are not above us, but are doing the work cooperatively that local churches can't accomplish better on their own. Um, and so, so there, there is a, it's more of a network where, where there are some real, uh, some truly networking opportunities, um, where there, there, we're working, and we'll talk about this in a minute. We're working on some accountability structures, uh, as well. But, but I, I think like in, in one sense, there's some, there's the opportunity, uh, for networking that will encourage people in ministry. Uh, John Seth is a part, uh, is a part of a group. Yep. Uh, you want to tell them what, what that is that yeah, I'm, I'm, again, something that the SBC kind of brings to the table for us. Yeah. And, and which we'll move in. I, I think we'll move into that a little later on, but the North American mission board, there's a section of it that is now going towards student pastors. Um, and I'm a part of a network now, um, that is funded by that. It's free. They're doing a free conference for me and my wife. And, um, so yeah, just to network and encourage and ministry and, 
bounce ideas off and pray for each other. And, and that's all because right. of the North American mission board. Yeah. And that's, that's what they provide is the opportunity to talk to other people who are in similar capacities, um, and, and, and network and be coached by yep. or invest in others in those specific area ministries, uh, as well. Yep. So SBC again, um, not a top down organization, but a grassroots organization that networks itself very well. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, in a very real sense, um, in, in one way, the, the convention only exists for a few years or a few days during the year at our annual meeting. And we have entities that, that do our work throughout the year. But in a real sense, the, the Southern Baptist Convention is the gathering of the messengers mm-hmm. of the local churches. That's right. Yeah. And so just, uh, we, th- we throw every, every week on Sundays, sometimes on Wednesdays, and even in this podcast already, we throw away, throw out these terms and just really briefly, can we talk a little bit about what the cooperative program is what the IMB is, what NAM is just, just terms that are thrown around a lot. Just real briefly. What are these things? Well, the, the entities that the churches support, um, and have tasked to do some of the work that would be better done cooperatively. International IMB is International Mission Board. Um, and every one of these entities has their own leadership structure and their own set of, of trustees, their oversight board. Uh, the way these are all tied together is through the convention that Daniel just referred to that meets every year. There are people that are elected to those positions. So they are tied together um, and held accountable by the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention, but they are tasked with governing themselves and and setting their goals and their missions and their visions and then accomplishing it with the oversight of the board that the SBC elects. So you've got the International Mission Board, you've got the North American Mission Board, um, which again serves right here in the United States. A big part of that is not just networking um, uh, like-minded ministry uh, teams together, but also send relief um, if there's ever uh, hurricane or tornadoes or flooding. Um, send relief sends all kinds of uh, materials and resources and human resources to uh, to those affected areas. So it's the North American Mission Board. Um, those are the two main entities. Yeah. Then you got the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, which helps churches speak to the current cultural controversies of the day and provide a, a biblical solution to how we might address those controversies in a way that is gospel centric and allows us to maintain gospel conversations with people who even disagree with us. Um, so those are, those are three. The seminaries also, mm-hmm. uh, six Southern Baptist seminaries. Right. Um, and there's some others. Lifeway, uh, does publishing. Right. Uh, but, uh, but those that are, Supported by the cooperative program are North American Mission Board, IMB, the ex- Ethics ERLC, and, right. and the seminaries. And the seminaries, yeah. right. Lifeway is not supported by uh, what we would call cooperative program dollars. We'll, we'll define that here in a second. Um, but, uh, but they actually produce materials and are able to sell materials in such a way that they can sustain sustain that ministry. Yeah. It can be easy to get kind of bogged down in the details to me for the cooperative program. But I I think there was, there's a book called SBC frequently asked questions, which I think is helpful and kind of defining. I don't know if anybody would want to pick that up or not, because it's just talking about what the SBC is, which, (laughs) but I I do think that there's some, it kind of gives some clarity to what the cooperative program is. It says it begins with individuals and ends with ministries. So church members, you who are listening, give financial resources to their local congregations, us, Parkview. And then those churches then forward a portion of their budget to their state convention, which is what, 12 we percent? For, for, for Parkview, 12%. So 12% of our budget goes to the Florida Baptist Convention. 
And then those state conventions, so our, our Florida Baptist Convention, designate a percentage of total monies received to pass on to the Southern Baptist Convention nationwide. And for our state, it's 51%. Um, so we're giving more than we are, we are taking in, which we'll get to how, I'll get to how grateful I am for the Florida Baptist yes. Convention. Uh, but the messengers of each state convention decide what their re- rep- respective present- percentages will be. And then money that stays within the state is, is dispersed among state and local ministries. So that, that kind of, again, it can right. get, kind of get confusing in the whole thing of just right. where all of the money is going. But on the different levels, I think that was kind of helpful. Yeah. 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 And 1925 was really a landmark year for Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, you know, we got started in 1845, um, went through some, some issues with trying to figure out the role of what the international, what was then the foreign mission board and the home mission board, trying to figure out what those roles were going to be, how they were going to be funded, how they were going to be supported. And, and if you, if you've been a part of church life, uh, in like a, an independent Baptist church or, or, or uh, maybe even some other, other denomination that supports ministries, you'll know that there's, that in some places there are just uh, week after week, different missionaries kind of coming through and looking for support and trying to fund their ministries and kind of giving a report as to, to what's happening. And so to keep that from happening, to keep missionaries from having to go from place to place, trying to raise their support and to keep churches from having to designate so much time to accommodate these missionaries coming in, uh, the churches of the Southern Baptist convention got together and said, we're going to form this thing called the cooperative program. So basically uh, through the cooperative program, those missionary, the missionary work is, is funded already. They don't have to go from church to church soliciting funds and trying to sell their ministry. Uh, we can give to the cooperative program. Those monies are pooled together. And then those agencies are tasked with, um, with, uh, hiring and qualifying and vetting missionaries to go out, uh, on behalf of Southern Baptists. So, so it does a couple of things. First of all, it keeps mission, it, it keeps the churches from, from having to decide, okay, which missionary are we going to support? Mm-hmm. Um, and how much are we going to support them at what level? But it also, it also puts missionaries on the field a lot faster because they don't have to spend the first three years of their missionary life trying to raise support and raise money to be able to go overseas. They can go right into their training. They can go right into their language learning and all of that because all of that is funded by the cooperative program. And then they receive their salary from that. So it makes it a little bit more attractive for, for families and guys uh, and ladies that are, are called to the mission field to be able to go and get on the field very quickly and start advancing the kingdom. Uh, more effectively and in a faster, uh, a faster way. So, um, so that's, that, that was one of the things that they decided. And, and in that 1925 cooperative program agreement, that is when they decided that the state conventions would be kind of the gatekeepers of those resources. So rather than churches trying to decide, okay, how much are we going to send to the state? How much are we going to send to this seminary? How much are we going to send to the IMB? They just said, listen, send it all to the states. And then the states, According to the 1925 agreement, we're supposed to take, um, they would get a certain amount of money and they were supposed to take half of that and send it to the Southern Baptist Convention. And then the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee would decide how much of a percentage of each of those would be divided up among the entities. The, the problem is, um, that the states, uh, would end up keeping way more than 50%, uh, to be able to fund their own ministries in their own states. Um, and, and so, so throughout the years, 1925, 1937, 1950s, there was always this, this call by the SBC to, to the states to go to honor 
1925 agreement. Um, and, and we're just now to a point where some of those states are, are finally doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been multiple reasons why they would withhold, why they would, why they would keep more than just 50%. Um, but I'm just glad to be a part of a state where we, we keep less. Uh, than what we send away. Right. Um, and, and so that's in Florida. Florida keeps 49%, uh, and gives 51% to the SBC because we want to give, uh, we want to give more as much as we can to, to global missionary endeavors. Um, and so, so that's 1925, the cooperative program. Some states now are keeping 85%. So it, it's really right. significant that Florida Absolutely. is, right. is giving so much. And that just happened, what, five, about five years five ago? Five years ago. Um, in a, in a change of, of leadership. What's significant about the Florida Baptist Convention and why are you grateful for it? As you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do think, and we've mentioned this, that Florida is in my mind is, is leading the way as far as giving more than they're taking in. D- Daniel just referenced some other state conventions and, and I'm grateful for Tommy Green's leadership. And over the last five years, that <clears throat> just is a, it signifies to our churches within the state of Florida that we are a generous people by sending more to the Southern Baptist Convention to get more money to the IMB and to NAM and those type of organizations. Um, so I'm grateful for that. And, and Mike, you were, you were involved in that process as well over the last few years. Um, and so good work. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Um, but, uh, but I'm encouraged as I go to the Florida Baptist Convention, um, I, I'm encouraged by a lot of different things that happen within the Florida Baptist convention, whether that be like uh, the racial reconciliation that is happening within our, within our state by the leadership of Tommy green um, Mm -hmm. that is modeled on our platform and those type of things. Um, I think that it's uh, Florida is a very diverse state and that's modeled for us every time we go to the Florida Florida Baptist convention. Um, And so I'm just encouraged by those type of things that are happening within our state. um, And I, I think that's, because of, of Tommy's leadership. Well, I like the Florida Baptist Convention. Three words. Dr. Tommy Green. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Yeah. Well, the uh, the Florida Baptist Convention certainly um, uh, has Florida Baptists at heart. I mean, they, they want to do uh, what is best uh, as far as, as, far as uh, missions and ministries in the state of Florida. Florida Baptist Convention, the dollars that we give to the cooperative program uh, to support their ministries does so much more than what what most people even realize. Um, they they do things with uh, with um, uh, port ministries and migrant ministries and and all kinds of things that uh, when when folks that are coming into the the to the United States and are coming into Florida, they're hearing the gospel and having a chance, you know, ho- hopefully possibly to take that gospel back to to uh, to their families and to the to the uh, nations that they came from. Um, but, but even, even apart from that, uh, what, what, um, we, we've had partnerships in, uh, ongoing partnerships in, in Haiti, uh, ongoing partnerships in Cuba, um, where, where, uh, there are places where maybe the IMB has not been able to commit resources because it only has a limited amount of resources as well. Um, Florida has just said, okay, IMB, you go, you go do you, and we're going to, this is going to be our sphere of influence. We have, we have a generation or two, uh, of, of, uh, Cuban immigrants in Florida with uh, Cuban pastors who still have families back there. So we're going to, 
we're going to come alongside them and encourage them. And we're going to start sending teams and financial resources to help the people uh, in Cuba understand and hear the gospel. And we're going to do the same in Haiti because awesome. we have a couple of generations of Haitians here in Florida. We've got a lot of Haitian pastors who have friends back in Haiti. They're still trying to do the work of the kingdom in Haiti. So let's, let's partner with them. Let's invest in them and let's send teams and let's, let's send some financial resources. Let's send theological education. Um, to Haiti. I had the privilege one time of attending a graduation of 145 um, pastors in Haiti uh, who were able to get theological education uh, from uh, a partnership with New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. That's awesome. That is and, cool. and so... So we're, we've been as Florida Baptists on the ground in those places, training uh, local pastors to do the work of the kingdom in their place. So it's not like we're just taking money and like dumping it into a country, thinking that more money is going to help. We're actually investing in people and in churches um, so that they can do the work that they've been called to awesome. in their places of service and ministry. And so um, again, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm grateful for, for Tommy and his leadership um, and, uh, and some of the things that we've been able to par- partner in as Florida Baptists here uh, through the Florida Baptist Convention. So let's Let's talk a little bit about the Baptist faith and message. What is that? Well, again, in 1925, that was a landmark year for Southern Baptists. Not only did they come up with this thing called a cooperative program that would fund missionary endeavors around the world, they also uh, formulated a statement of theological beliefs. Um, and so that was the first year of this thing called the Baptist faith and message. Um, it's gone through a couple of revisions as culture changes and the church has to define its position in certain areas, um, the Baptist faith and message has been updated uh, along the way. But it started uh, because of the the Enlightenment and the liberalism of the early 1900s, where churches were starting to drift away from the authority of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture and those kind of things. The first Baptist Baptist faith and message kind of came along and said, no, this is what we're going to believe about the Bible, and this is what we're going to believe uh, theologically as, as far as what we believe about the Bible and what the Bible teaches with reference to the gospel and that uh, that original 1925 uh baptist faith and message was based on a much earlier new hampshire baptist confessional from the 1800s which in turn was based on much much earlier confessions of faith from um from england so so there's it's it's still a very historical document it's a historical orthodox um statement of our faith right and as skylar mentioned earlier that baptist faith and message was intentionally written with a uh, in a, in a, a broad framework of theological truth, understanding that, that there are some, some primary issues that are non-negotiables with regard to the gospel. I mean, we believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe Christ, born of a virgin, uh, lived the perfect sinless life, came uh, according to the gospel, died for our sins in our place, according to the scriptures, was buried, rose again on the third day, and has now ascended to the, to the Father in heaven. And, and so, so there are some essentials that we believe that are non-negotiable for partnership in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, uh, it, but but there are some there are some other issues and and there are some things that we believe even as Baptists uh, concerning uh, baptism and Lord's Supper and some of those things that that tie us together that allow us to plant churches together because if you're going to plant church if you're going to partner with planting churches you have to have some idea of what that church is going to look like and how that church is going to be structured yeah every church is going to develop its own personality every church is going to be able to 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 govern itself at, at some point but you have to have an idea of, of the base of, of the theology that they're going to believe. Um, where we, uh, where there's a, a broad umbrella is, is in, in certain areas like, um, like eschatology, end times. Um, do you believe in a, a, a premillennium rapture or a postmillennium rapture or an amillennial 
no rapture or uh, just the second coming of Christ? Are you a pan-millennialist where you think it's just all going to pan out somehow? You know, uh, there, there's all different kinds of ways of viewing eschatology. Um, and there's room in the Baptist faith and message for all of that because there's, that's not something to break fellowship over. Right. Um, we know that there are different ways of viewing the book of Revelation and viewing the consummation of history as we know it. And so we're okay with that. We can still partner together. We're not going to break fellowship over that. Um, even, even in certain areas of our, our soteriology, whether, whether regeneration comes before conversion or conversion comes before regeneration or it happens simultaneously, or whatever, there's, there's room for that in the Baptist faith and message, whether you would consider yourself a, a traditionalist or a, a Calvinist to, to a certain extent, there, there's room for partnership in that because we are primarily a missiological organization, yeah. not a theological organization. Right. Um, and, and so there is a theology that binds us together and there's a theology that is, that all of our churches are going to have in common, but there's also, there's also a lot of room, uh, for, uh, for, uh, individuality among the churches as well, even in some areas of their theology. Absolutely. That's good. And so I think we could end with this. We've kind of covered a lot of different terms and things, uh, but Daniel earlier mentioned the annual meeting, uh, that the SBC has, uh, and we've, we've gotten a, a couple of questions sent in just regarding all those things. Do we want to speak to, um, maybe just the most recent annual meeting, some of the things that maybe went down or were talked about or any of those things, uh, just cause there's been some buzzwords thrown around and just some questions of what happened, uh, maybe just give an update on that. The AC guy, <laughs> David Pumgardner. Yeah champion at the convention. Yeah. The only, the only place where you'll, you'll be where there's 14,000 people in a room and they're actually doing serious business and trying to wait through motions and seconds and all of that. And some guy stands up and says, for the love of everything holy, would you please turn down the air conditioning? Got a you standing know, so ovation he as did, well. He did, because evidently it was pretty warm in that room. I wasn't was. even in the room, in the room but I felt that. Yeah. Level. yeah. Yes. I would be. Um, so the, the thing that, that we need to understand is there are, there are certain things that have to be done with regard to the business of the convention. Um, again, the churches hold all of these entities accountable. So all of these entities provide reports on their work and what they're doing, their budgets, you know, where, where the money is going. So all of that is just kind of standard business at the, at the convention. Um, and they're usually very well received and, and, and there's usually no, no problems with that. Um, th there have been some issues lately, though, in the Southern Baptist Convention and some things that have come to light uh, in the media that we, we try to address. So in, in, at the Southern Baptist Convention, there's two forms of, of business. One is uh, motions that take care of and handle operations and operational sides of things. The other are these things called resolutions um, because they, they are, they are uh, formative opinion. They're opinions of what, uh, what we think would be the majority of Southern Baptists. Um, the, the, the problem is, is whenever you voice an opinion about something, um, there's always going to people be people who disagree with that opinion yes. or will want to tweak that opinion or will want to use a different word than what you use. And so, so some of it gets very cumbersome. What we need to understand first and foremost, though, as a church is that resolutions that are passed at the Southern Baptist convention are not binding on the local congregations. Right. They are just, they are just, um, uh, I, I guess, ideas go ahead i would say there there's there's statements on on different issues um from just the messengers in the room so any given year um, you know if we go back far enough in our history there's resolutions that we would all disagree with right right, um, right. yeah but so so these are these are statements um based on on the beliefs and and opinions of the messengers in the room right 
And, and so one of the, one of the most current controversies, even in, in, in and here's the thing, usually the, the, we're addressing issues within the convention because we're trying to come up with a statement related to some kind of cultural issue that's, yeah. that, that is, that is impeding the advancement of the gospel, um, and, and creating a, a disruption or disharmony in the local churches. And so one of the things that, that the convention has been, been really, uh, uh I think geared toward rightly has been the, the concept of racial reconciliation and, and healing in that area and, and acknowledging, um, the, the fact that there are injustices that, that we need to be, uh, we need to be advocating for justice in. I mean, we believe that that's biblical, that, mm-hmm. that, that there is injustice in a sinful world. And I mean, the Bible is very clear. What is it that, that God wants us to do? Um, to, uh, what, what is it that God wants from us to do justly and you know, to love mercy and to walk mm-hmm. humbly with your God? So it's, it's like in the, in the prophets that, that we're supposed to do that. So, so we, um, so we talk about ra- racial reconciliation. We talk about diversity in churches and, and trying to encourage our churches to reflect as much as they can. And as much as the Holy spirit will strategically, uh, gather people together, um, do our churches look like our, the communities that we're called to serve. And, and so those kind of things. Um, and, and so, and th- that I think is, is rightly done. Um, but one of the big controversies in culture right now is, um, is this, this thing called critical theory. And then that's been kind of narrowed down even to critical race theory. So we've heard everybody from, uh, from news media to philosophers, to, uh, presidents, to governors talking about this thing called CRT and making these proclamations and, and just doing all of these things. So, uh, Southern Baptist, uh, entities felt like they needed to address it and make a statement, uh, regarding it. Um, and, and so if, if you don't know what critical race theory is, basically it is a, um, it is a, a theory that seeks to understand, uh, and help people understand, um, uh, racism and systemic racism and some of the other things that, that happen, uh, in our, in our sinful and broken world. Uh, but it is, it is a, a, it is certainly a, a secular theory that comes out of, um, a secular understanding of human nature. Um, and so in that sense, uh, back in 2019, there was a statement, a resolution that was written. It was called Resolution 9, very famous resolution now, uh, amongst Southern Baptists anyway, that was very controversial because it wanted to advocate for the use of critical race theory as a tool. And it, and it made it, um, uh, subject to the script. I mean, it, it felt, it was subordinate to the scriptures. Right. And exactly. so everybody understood that. I think that there was some, there was some confusion on the floor. Uh, there was some doubt whether or not the resolution was written well and, and all of those things. And so that created a, a huge controversy, uh, between certain camps in, in the Southern Baptist convention. Um, and, and so, so because of that rumor got out, or, 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 you know, how things happen on social media. Um, and now all of a sudden our seminaries were drifting liberal. Our professors were teaching CRT. They were, uh, you know, everybody was doing all these things and none of that was true. And I still don't believe any of that is true. I don't believe that there is a liberal drift in the Southern Baptist convention. We, every one of our six seminary presidents are inerrantists. They believe in the inerrancy of God's word, that they are infallible, that they are the, the final authority in all things all things theological and all things biblical and all things cultural. Uh, 
Um, and so there's no doubt in my mind that, that they, uh, they knew and they understood what resolution nine was saying, right. but they also recognized that there was some controversy and some pushback against it because there are some who would say to acknowledge any aspect of CRT is to, uh, is to usurp the authority, uh, uh, and undermine the authority of scripture. And so there's, there was some pushback and some concern there. Um, and, and maybe rightly so. We don't know. Uh, but we do know this. The six seminary presidents later released a statement saying that they believe that, that most, if not all, or they, they basically rejected any aspect of critical race theory that would be antithetical to the gospel. Uh, and again, you've got some saying that all aspects of CRT are antithetical to the gospel, so there's no room in it for anybody. You've got other groups saying, no, we understand that it's a sociological tool that has its roots in secular philosophies, um, but it could help us identify the the nature and condition of our churches and help our churches understand the, the condition of the culture that they're trying to share the gospel in. Because if you think about it, that's the primary responsibility of a missionary is to learn the language and understand the culture of the, right. the people group he's going to serve. So if, if your church is serving in the midst of, a, of an urban, uh, of an urban area, just, just as an example that has embraced CRT, then how effective can you be if you don't even know what it is or you, you can't speak the language you, or you, you, you know, you're going to cut off any opportunity for sharing the gospel there. Um, so, so, you know, we, we, we kind of get that, but we, we needed to be very clear that we reject um, any of the of the tenets of CRT that would be antithetical to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a new resolution written um, this year in 2021 that I think did that very well. A- again, it's not enough for some, but I think uh, thinking in terms of the big umbrella of the SBC and, and knowing that there is, there is room for uh, some diversity of thought, yeah. uh, as long as we're all kind of uh, on basically the same page, uh, that's where most of us are. There are some who are not. Um, who, if you don't believe this, 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 and this, this, then, then you have no business, you know, partnering with us. And, and to them, I would just say, well, go find people like that to partner with, you know, whatever. Um, but, but basically what they said in this new one, in this new resolution was that, uh, that we affirm our agreement with historic, biblically faithful Southern Baptist condemnations of racism in all forms. And, and if you've been a part of Parkview for any length of time, you've heard that preached from the platform and we are going to preach when the text lends itself to preaching against racism and hatred, uh, then, then we're going to do that. We're not going to hold back from that. We have no problem, um, dealing with those issues because they are sinful and antithetical to the gospel because it, 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 racism, um, undermines the fact that every one of us are made in the image of our God. Yeah. We're all made in the image of the creator. And so we all have value. Uh, not because of what we what we think we can contribute to society or what other people think we contribute to society. If you don't c- contribute anything to society, you're still valuable because you're made in the image of your creator. Um, they said that we um, we reject any theory or worldview that finds the ultimate identity of human beings in ethnicity or in any other group dynamic. Again, God is the one who assigns us our identity. We live in a culture that is trying to redefine its reality. And so we need to address that. And, and again, some people might see critical race theory as an opportunity to, to at least point it out and address it. And what they're saying is, you know, we, we, we need to, we can go back to creation. We don't need a, a necessarily a secular, uh, worldview, uh, or philosophy to help us understand where our identity and our value comes from. Uh, it, it's very clear in the book of Genesis. And so, so our ultimate identity is found, um, in, in 
the fact that we're created in the image of God. And then as Christians, our identity is in Christ. I mean, that is the one thing repeated over and over and over again, uh, in the, in the Pauline letters is, is the fact that we are in Christ, mm. that we reject any theory or worldview that sees the primary problem of humanity as anything other than sin against God. And the ultimate solution as anything other than redemption found only in Christ. I mm. think that's worded yeah. very yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. Um, because that really is the root of all of our problems, yeah. a sinful nature, that can be reversed and overcome by the redemptive plan of God Amen. Uh, and only overcome by the redemptive plan of God. Yeah. The bottom line to me is like, nobody is saying that scripture isn't sufficient. Right. Like it is it all. I mean, we would all affirm that that scripture, God's word is, is inerrant. Mm-hmm. Um, are there helpful tools for us? That can be helpful, just like, I mean, you can speak to this in church growth right. stuff, sociological um, things that can be helpful to us that are secondary, that are way below right. God's right, word. Right. That right. is, you know, that that's that's kind of the bottom line in my thinking here. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that's, that's absolutely right, um, that there, there are... I mean, that was part of the problem in the part of part of the issue in the nineties with the whole church growth movement was that they were trying to apply sociological concepts of, of how people gather and why people gather. And they were trying to use some of those things to help understand how we might better plant churches in different communities. Um, and, and there was pushback against that. I mean, so much so that, that, the that the Southern Baptist seminary dropped church growth from its uh, drop the name church growth from right. its degree program uh, because there was so much baggage associated with it. And I think that's where a lot of people are today. Even those who may, may advocate for, or might, might understand even better than most of us, the, the nuances of critical race theory. I think, I think they're, they're starting to get, look, there's a lot of baggage associated with that. So let's just, let's just avoid some sure. of those terms and let's just, let's just stay with the gospel knowing this. And let, let me just say this too. We preach the gospel, um, but as Christians, we live in a, a society that is in this world. And so if we get the opportunity to use the systems that we have available to us to, uh, to, ref- to more accurately reflect the nature and character of God and the sanctity of life and the sanctity of, of marriage and those kind of things, then we should do that. So, so all of these, it's just interesting. All of the people that are wanting to reject things like, like CRT and any secular view of, of anything and, and reject, you know, any kind of worldly, just preach the gospel, just preach the gospel. They're going to be the same ones that are going to sign a petition saying that we need to create a law to abolish abortion, Mm. which again, they're using a governmental, they want to use a governmental legislative process to get kingdom work accomplished. So, so you can't have it both ways. I mean, (laughs) you, we've got to be consistent in the way we think. And so, yes, we are primarily, we are gospel centered and gospel focused. And, but we're also going to use the things that this world gives us to use to advance the nature and character of God and and the gospel of Christ in the areas that we're called to serve. Amen. So, um, that's good. I also think it, it's, helpful for um, for us as just average church members when we see things on social media and uh, and things in media um, we need to realize that there are people who are intentionally trying to sow division in the southern yes. maps convention yes. so if you if you read something that says uh, that this that Danny Aiken is a liberal for instance that was that that accusation was made before the convention this this year um, you can send an email and ask him 
questions. Uh, like, you know, that's, that's a freedom that we all have as Southern Baptists. And I've read his textbook, by the way, there's nothing liberal yeah, in the theology of Dan right. Aiken. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so do know that there are people out there that are actively lying. Um, so, so just be careful where, where you get your information and, and what, what, uh, what websites you go to for, um, you know, for information about the SBC. Yeah, are there helpful, uh, resources that we could suggest um, there's yeah there's a great podcast called SBC this week right and yeah. uh, and that's just uh, they they release it weekly and uh, and they cover they cover the issues as they come up um, whether it whether it reflects well on the SBC or not uh, they they do a very good job there is that are there others Baptist Press was the one that I was thinking about I'm sure there are others yeah so Baptist Press would be another one that yeah. I I think would be helpful I, <laughs> You know, I think you're exactly right, Daniel. Just be careful. I mean, the articles that you read on Facebook, I mean, if it's they're not always bait, true. It's probably garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if the article is trying to make you click because there's some, some huge controversy here, well, just, yeah. just be careful. Yes. Right. Right. Uh, one of the other things that, that has really been uh, pressing in our culture, uh, and then a couple of years ago, a, a Houston Chronicles uh, article came out that, that made it pressing in Southern Baptist life is the issue of, of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, so Southern Baptists there for a while, we were just kind of sitting back and saying, Oh, wow, look at the Catholic church, how messed up they are. Um, and the bottom line is that, uh, that, uh, you know, Jesus says, Hey, don't, don't forget the log in your own eye before yeah. trying to move a speck from somebody else's. Um, and so that's come back to, to haunt us in this, in this, uh, the, the cultural context that, that we're in and, and the fact that, that there are, um, there are ab- abusers that are in every aspect of life. Um, and so anyway, the Houston Chronicle came out with, with, uh, with an article. And, um, uh, and so I, I was actually very, um, uh, I guess, I don't know, lack of a better word, proud of our convention this year. Um, because as we said earlier, there is no hierarchical structure of, of, uh, you know, top down management of our churches. Our churches are independent. They are autonomous. They can call who they want to, to be their pastor. Um, and they don't have to do anything other than just hire a guy to pastor them. Now it, it's unwise if they hire people without doing background checks and without checking on certain things and without doing references. Um, but the bottom line is the church world is not necessarily the corporate world. And you have people who serve in certain areas of church that have no idea, have never hired anybody in their lives. Um, and so, so basically it's very difficult to form, uh, within a, the, the way we're the way we're together in this network, it's very difficult to form, uh, uh, accountability. Um, and so, so we're working on that though. Um, and, uh, the, the executive committee or the, the new convention, the newly elected convention president, Ed Litton was tasked by the messengers of that convention to form a committee that would, uh, would bring in an outside investigation into the way Southern Baptist entities like the executive committee, um, like the seminaries, uh, any of the entities, if there is, if there is, uh, any possibility that they have mishandled, um, accusations of, of sexual abuse or, or anything like that, um, that's, that's being investigated now so that we can, we can fix 
this issue. One of the things that they're asking for, or the, one of the things that I think we should be advocating for is a, is a database of those who have been, um, uh, who, who have been, uh, it, it's hard because some say, well, it's already there. If you've been convicted of, a of, of, uh, abuse, then, then you're already in a database. Um, but, but, it, but I think part of the, part of the problem is there is this, uh, probably more than perception, but I'm only speaking anecdotal, so I can't say uh, that, that, is, that, that it's real or not. But there's a perception out there that, that there have been people on staff who have committed violations, uh, sexual abuse violations. For the good of the church, their leadership says, they just kind of dismiss it, they handle it in-house, and they dismiss it, and the guy just goes away, mm. only to be hired by some other church later on because there's no record of any of that happening. Right. So the challenge is, is how do you, how do you record that? And how do you get your churches that you're partnering with in missionary endeavors to do their due diligence when they're bringing a pastor or hiring a staff person or, or doing that? Um, how, how do you make that happen? So there are some, there still are some challenges out there, but we're talking about it and we're discussing it and we're not afraid of it anymore. And I think we're going to be able to move forward and make some progress in that. And so that was, that was part of the business of 2021 and part of the operational business, not just resolutions, um, but actually part of the operational business of it, where they actually said, this is what we want. We need it. We need somebody to provide some kind of oversight and investigation into how these things are being handled so that we can develop a policy of how they need to be handled in the future. And if they're not handled that way, then what recourse is there? Because that's the problem. If you don't have a policy, then there's no recourse when that, when that policy is violated because there's no policy. But if you can get something down in, in writing that we can all agree to, then that might, might be helpful. And it might, it might create, um, hopefully, uh, we want people that come onto our campus to worship with us. We want them to feel like this is a safe environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're going to do everything we can. I mean, we do, Right. We do background checks on, of course, all of us. So, so I was, right. I was going to bring up before you looked at me, just that, you know, the, these issues with, with, there are churches that don't do this, but we are very careful about that at Parkview. We do background checks for all of our employees, of course, but also anyone who works with a minor in any capacity at all for even one minute has been background checked. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about sex abuse prevention with our, with our volunteers. These are, these are all things that, that, uh, that we're very careful about. We're mindful of. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, and we try to put into place procedures that will, will, uh, limit the opportunity for any of that limit or negate the opportunity for any of that to, to, to happen. We try to be proactive in keeping that from happening. Yeah. Yep. I was grateful for Grant Gaines, who was the one who led that, that motion at our convention this year. Uh, if there is anything in our convention that is at all uh, related to sexual abuse, we need to be um, doing everything that we can to make sure that those wrongs are made right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And so just to kind of uh, finalize in one statement, we are grateful to be Southern Baptist and we are affirming and grateful for how this annual convention went this year and we would affirm everything that happened there. So I hope that clears up a lot of the questions that have been sent to us or questions that we've gotten, uh, just lately in the past few months or, or whatever. Um, but that concludes our series on the church. Uh, but don't forget that you can send us any other questions you might have. You can either approach us at church or fill out our form pbclc.com slash podcast and send us questions. 
Uh, don't forget to follow or subscribe to us depending on what you listen to us on. And please leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening to Coffee Rants and All Things Christian. And we'll see you next time.